Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Thank Your Pain podcast, where we turn painful moments in our lives into lessons and blessings that we can learn from. And today we have someone named Dylan Sessler joining us. Dylan is one of the strongest people I have been blessed to come across on the internet. He's a U.S. Army vet, survivor of depression, PTSD, child abuse, child loss, and even parental suicide. So his life is not for the faint of heart. And we are blessed today to have him come on here and share how he has been able to not just go through, but overcome his PTSD, his depression and anxiety through intense self-awareness, learning and focused self-empathy. And even diving deep into something that is not talked about enough in general, but especially for men, what happens for males when something like miscarriage or child loss happens in the pain that a father can truly feel. Dylan himself has made his life's journey into a tool for change for others, and in doing so has amassed a social media following of over half a million and has truly turned his pain into something that can be a tool for change. So thank you so much for listening. I think you're really going to enjoy and resonate with this episode. And thank you, Dylan, for being on. And let's jump right in. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. This is, I'm excited for this. So, wow. I obviously just numbered off a whole slew of things that, you know, you've been able to overcome in your life. So what was the time span, first of all, between going through all of this trauma, then to jumping into being a mental health advocate and coach? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, like I'm, I'm 31 years old. So that gives you some context of just how short of a time frame I've had to work with all of this. Um, realistically, I lost my dad at six years old to suicide. Um, and that was, that's, that's where I'm kind of understanding that that was the divergence of who I've become, right? Like there was, there was a part of me that wanted to be this kid, but there was also a part of me that had to become grown up, right? This, this recognition that I couldn't be this kid anymore because of what just happened to me. And from that point, from six years old to about 25 years old is when my life was, was in shambles. It was a disaster. Um, I was, you know, at one point I was, I was abused by the next man that was in my life um, without me really understanding what was going on. It was a lot of, uh, you know, following on to this extreme grief and this extreme loss. Um, the next manly figure in my life more or less made me feel more guilty and more shameful for who I was. Um, and just within a span of three to four years, just completely destroyed who I, who I thought I could be. Um, and then I was bullied in, in high school. I joined the military at 17, um, deployed to Afghanistan, you know, uh, in 2012. Um, and yeah, I mean, like within about 19 years, all of this stuff was happening. Um, and then, uh, 2015 is when I ultimately almost commit suicide myself. Um, I was about a millimeter of way of, you know, pulling the trigger on my Glock. And from that point on, right, the real, the real work began in 2015. It was March of 2015. And I was like, uh, this is, this isn't going places where I, I should be going. So I've got to change. And, and that's where. I started reading books. I started putting in podcasts in my ears 18 hours a day because um, I was only sleeping four hours a day. Um, and, you know, putting in 
audiobooks, reading books, um, listening to YouTube videos that were, whether it was motivational, inspirational, or developmental, I was, I was focusing on whatever information I could put in my head that would help me understand myself. That's what I was doing. And that lasted for, you know, obviously until now, I still do that. But the real work went up into 20, 2018, deployed to Afghanistan 2019, um, came home in, in December of 2019. And that's when I was like, you know what? I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to help people. Right. I'm, and that started with my book. I didn't even have any intention of actually coaching people when I started TikTok. I'm just like, you know what? I'm writing a book. And the only way people, the only way I'm going to give it to people to help people, because I wrote this book to become, you know, for it to become people's survival guide that I never had. Right. I wanted people to have something that I didn't. Um, and so I wrote that and I was like, I need to put it out there to people. And then people started responding, right? Like within, you know, I started in January and didn't do many videos, but then in March, obviously COVID was, was wonderful time of year for 2020. Um, within the first month and a half, I had like 10,000 followers and I was like, what is happening? Right? Like I'm, I'm this super introverted kind of shy guy. I'm like, I have a purpose. So I'm like, put myself out there. Now all of a sudden 10,000 people are like, Hey Dylan, what's up? And I'm like, wow, this is weird. So, you know, from that point, it was like, that's when people were like, can, can we do coaching with you? Like, I, I, I need help, right? I need more help than a book can, can provide. And so 20, early 2020 is when I started coaching. I started, you know, giving people an understanding of how I went through the process. And, you know, since then, I've learned so much. I'm still learning so much about people. But, you know, it, it's been a matter of, you know, six, seven years of going through the, the process of healing and under, you know, understanding, I think is more important before healing. And I don't know if healing is the right word sometimes that, you know, when we're talking about trauma, we're not, we're not really talking about a, a wound per se, because you would think that you would be able to patch a wound and that wound would get better. But it's not like that, because trauma becomes so fragmented that you you almost have to take out the wound and replace it with a completely new structure because you're talking about mental wounds and they just don't work like physical wounds. So it's, it's more than just that. It's, it's understanding was there, was there, uh, you know, unhealthy communication before was there unhealthy communication after was there compounding negativity within the, the time frame of when you were traumatized and all that. So it's a, it's been a huge kind of perspective shift for me over the past five, six years of, of really understanding, going from how to help myself to helping other people. And it's been, it's been a hell of a journey. And it, yeah, I mean, but it's, it's only been five, six years, seven years overall. Wow. Wow. Okay. So there, there are a few things from there that I, I want to pick out. So we have a very similar healing slash non-healing journey, which I totally agree with. Um, a lot of healing is actually just unlearning and relearning yeah. behavior patterns and understanding the self and understanding why things happen and, and what we can do to move forward, right? Because a lot of what we do is because of what we don't know, I think. Um, 
So have you ever had, like, did you ever engage with a therapist or coach yourself along this journey or was it entirely books and things like that? It was, it was books, you know, like I, you've never had a therapist or a counselor or anything. So I've, I've had them, but okay. the time frames were, um, as a kid, right. My, my mom okay. tried to give me that, that opportunity. Okay. Um, and it just, it was just, I was in a position where I wasn't talking to anybody. It didn't matter who, right. I wouldn't talk to my own mom about, about these things. Um, and so I certainly, it was, it was given to me, but it never, it never spoke to me. Right. And so I, I look at who I am. I'm very independent in terms of how I want to accomplish things. I, I would rather learn the hard way, right. The experiential hard way than, than be gifted the knowledge, right. I, I would not come to my own coaching sessions. Like that's, that's just who I am. Right. And that's, there's a lot of people out there like that and that's fair. Right. And so you know, that's why, that's why I wrote the book because not everybody's going to come to me. And I, I understand that. I respect that because that's who, that's who I am. I don't, I don't want to necessarily gain the knowledge from someone else's perspective because I want to be able to see if my perspective was different in the learning process than theirs. So oftentimes what I'll do is I'll, I'll go discuss it with people who are in a better position than me after I went through it. And understand in that direction, kind of put it in perspective and realize like, yeah, I could have done, I could have made a different choice, right? And so I put my choice in, in uh, contrast to theirs. And I see they made a, they made a probably a little bit smarter decision than me. And I probably could have done it this way. And so I learned that way, right? It's, it's for me, it's putting that in perspective, <coughs> excuse me, a different perspective and so therapy was never really something that called to me. I was also like, think about it this way. I was in the military. So there's a huge stigma there. Well, that's to... exactly what I was going to say, because you're saying a lot of things like, that's just who I am. But from my position, it's like, is that who you are? Or is that just who you adapted yourself to be? And now it's a self-identification because of all the male well, stigmas and the military stigmas. And because to me, it does not make sense to say, I want to live my life the hard way, unless we have been trained to say that that's a good way to live. But, but, and I'll go back to the first thing you said, you're absolutely right. Because everything we do from the day we're born is adaptation. So you're not wrong, but here's the thing, like the hard way is sometimes the right way. And I'm not saying my way is right. But what I am saying is that what I've learned is that doing things the hard way has taught me things doing things the easy way never would have. But who's and I think to that's... say that engaging in more knowledge is like an easier way, isn't it just, you know, like it's... if you go to battle, it's, it's better to have an, a weapon than to fight with your fists. Right. So like, it's not like you're taking the easy way out. Cause you're still going to battle no matter what, but it's... you're, you're prepping yourself in a different way. It's how you take on the knowledge. I, I, didn't, I didn't disregard knowledge. That's that, I think that's the important thing to understand. Here. Right. So that, that's what, where my confusion comes in is like, what makes the difference between um, like the books and a person? Connection. 
I can connect with, and this is probably one of the first books I actually read. Um, I can connect with a book far quicker than I can connect with a person back then. Right. And, and we look like, I, I look at this from a timeline of who I've become throughout the years. Right. I didn't learn to adapt to communicating with people until after my first deployment in 2013, 14. Right. And so I, I was incredibly reserved. I was incredibly introverted. I was incredibly like, uh, just not necessarily shy, but I did not feel comfortable having conversations with people. And, and that, that had nothing to do with the military. The military actually brought that out of me. It was, it was what happened at six years old and beyond. It, it taught me that people could not be trusted because all they would do is hurt me. Right. I, I never had people that I could really comfortably talk to. And that's why I never talked about my dad's suicide until after I came home from Afghanistan. So it's for me, the connection that books had, the connection that videos had of talking to me, me taking the knowledge and processing it and developing perspective from it was a viable option that allowed me to eventually build up to communicating with people. And since then, I don't necessarily think, certainly therapy might be very beneficial to me, but I've created so many very tight and close relationships. I don't think I need therapy. I have people that I literally go to and have conversations with about certain, certain topics and different, different concepts. And what I think mental health coaching, uh, therapy, you know, any of that kind of realm, I think it should be really reserved for people that don't have that support. Not to say that people that do have that support can't go, but it's, it's, it should be a viable option for people if they have nobody, because where's, where are they bringing in their perspective? If it's not from books, if it's not from, you know, learning around them, it, it has to be somewhere. And so they have to start seeing the perspective of someone else in contrast to their own. So they can recognize whether they're actually making mistakes or not that can be easily corrected. Yes. Well, what's so interesting about what you're saying, which is like so, so cool for me to hear is because you're going through this and what you landed on was not about hard versus easy at all. You said connection, which the foundation for trauma therapy is relationship between therapist and client. Yep. And so when you're talking about connection, when you couldn't trust people because of the trauma of your past and probably societal male stigmas, don't talk about your feelings, things like that, further mm -hmm. shaming, yep. right? You don't feel connected to people. So you go into self-healing, which is what a lot of men do, which is a lot of self-driven people do. I don't need anybody. I can solve this myself. But once you have connection, you have foundation for healing. That is what trauma therapy right. is. So I love what you said, because it's like, it's like, you're saying these things that are actually scientifically, yeah. you know, proven. Um, so exactly like what, what you said, um, people who don't have close friends, family, relative that they can go to, it is so important to have someone who has a non-biased, non-judgmental yeah. point of view, not just to give you perspective, but to create the foundation for what a healthy and safe relationship looks like. And I don't always encourage people to go to friends and family because I don't think right. friends and family always either. have, they don't always have the tools, right? Like, I think that 
the value of therapists and coaches is that they've studied how to actually get through things. And yeah. me and you have talked privately about coaches versus therapists yeah. and things like that, but um, definitely, definitely beneficial to at least develop that safe relationship and connection, right. like you said, because that is the foundation for healing. Because as humans, we do need relationships. We're not cats, like we need each other. And when right. you feel isolated and alone, that's when you fall into the depression and the anxiety and feel like you are alone. And and you know, something, something to add to this, not just military, because I, I think military can be overstated at times because we do have those connections. And certainly there's a stigma in the military. But 80% of people in the military are gun owners. And what happens when you go to therapy and you say you have suicidal thoughts and you're a gun owner? Very bad things, right? You lose, you lose access to your weapons. You lose access to these things. And certainly, like, it's, it's justified, right? Like, if, if you're thinking about killing yourself, like I did, it's, it's justified. But in many regards, that itself is an isolating factor and a disconnecting factor to going to something like therapy where they're, they're mandated to report this situation, right? Right. And, and I think, I don't remember if we talked about that, but uh, in, in private, but I, I don't have that reporting mandate as a, as a coach. And right. And, this- and I don't either. And that's why I think we connected and why men will feel comfortable going right. to you. And I mean, I've shot guns too. So it's almost like, part of what you identify with being a gun owner, it makes you feel comfortable to know that that person understands you a little bit more. But if that person doesn't, and you feel like that's threatened, it's going to be taken away. It's like, oh, that's just one more thing I'm going to lose. Yep. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've been a gun owner since I was 18, right? I came home from Afghanistan, I bought a rifle. Like that was, that was the first thing I did. Um, not Afghanistan, basic training. Um, but it's, it's such a, it's, it's the disconnection, right? Like I, I give talks in the military about, about suicide. And like one of the things I'm like, where does suicide come from? And ultimately people give me a thousand answers, but the reality is, is that all of those answers are disconnection, right? They're, they're all in common. Everything that's in common is disconnection, right? Like 75% of suicides are male. And so what, what men have to deal with is, is quite different from what women have to deal with clearly mm-hmm. if they have 75% of the suicides in any given year, it's approximately there. And so you see that there's that, that men are completely and utterly disconnected in many ways from the ability to actually uh, have something where they're in control of, right? And, and the mental health system in general can be quite disconnecting, right? I've had uh, many conversations about this. And if, if you, if, and this is what baffles me is that there's many benefits to the mental health system, but there's many glaring weaknesses. Like if you don't give people power to control their lives, then they, they will not empower themselves to overcome things like trauma and overcome things like suicide, because humans need the, the, the ability to control, to actually feel connected to themselves. Right. If if they don't, if they aren't given it, like, what do you think is going to happen? That's, that's what, like, as I've done this work in in the past two years, I'm seeing more stories and I'm like, what is happening? Like, what, 
why are we placing such constraints on people and things like this? And it's, it's really interesting to me. Right. Well, you know, and I like the thing that um, I uh, made sure of when I started my men's mental health coaching was not to disempower my clients. They're coming to me with something that they want to be solved, but that does not render them incapable. And you can't, and like, I think a lot of approaches that we have just in society, when it comes to the labels and the acceptance and the inclusivity, obviously we want to be inclusive. We want to be accepting of everybody, but what we're also doing is in the same breath, making people seem incapable or like they, they can't take a certain amount of adversity, which is just so incorrect in men. If they're feeling disempowered already or disengaged or disconnected from themselves, from their masculinity, from their emotions, right. Just trying to get by in the way that they've adapted to the last thing that you want to do is say, okay, now I'm going to disconnect you from your own healing process because you are incapable. So I'm going to tell you everything to do. Like I make sure to tell my clients, like you are doing this yourself. I'm just giving you directions. You're driving the car and you're fully capable of this. You can do this. I'm not going to have you sit across from me for five years, right? Unless we're continuously building on you. You're not going to go over the same problem over and over and over again, because there are ways to heal this stuff and we're going to support you and help you, but you are not a victim. Right. You know, absolutely. I, it, it, the, the similarities of how we talk to I know. Is, is remarkable <laughs> because it's so it's so important and you were talking about like friends and family earlier about how like they don't have the tools they most of the time they don't have the empathy they don't have the ability to actually say i understand this or the willingness don't. to actually understand what to you know what this might have felt like and so like for me and and you like we have that empathy to look at this and say I get what that feels like, but here's the reality. You can't stay there. Right. And that's when, when people hear that it's, it's remarkable. It's, it's remarkable for them to actually recognize, like, you're right. You know, like I can't stay here. I have stayed here. I'm tired of staying here. And, and for the first time in their lives, like people tell me, and I'm sure they tell you the same thing is like, they tell the hardest stories that they've ever been through. And for the first time, someone actually hears it and exactly. It. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. People will stay in that pain for as long as it is not validated. Yeah. And when you take the time to listen, you take the time to validate that pain. And then finally they can move on. And the problem for most men is they don't even validate their own pain. They can't because mm-hmm. they refuse to feel it. They refuse to see it. I am a man. I do not experience pain or the more pain I experience, the more manly I am. Yeah. And when they finally have someone who says, actually, that's not true. You are allowed to experience pain. That, yeah. that moment in that, in your life must've been so painful. They're like, oh my God. actually it was painful and I'm breaking down and I've been drinking and I've been doing all these things to shove it down. And at some point you just can't do it anymore. You know, for anybody who's, who's listening and is a workaholic or an alcoholic or drugs or porn or whatever your flavor of the month is to hide from yourself, you can run, but you cannot run forever because you will run yourself right into the ground. Yeah. The trauma just keeps chasing you. It, your shadow chases you forever. It's part of you. And only way to get rid of your shadow is to walk through it, to meet it, mm-hmm. to face it, make right? 
to make it part of you, right? Like I, I, I think I, I wear everything that I have been through as not as a veneer, but as a, as armor in, in many regards is that you, you know, when I, when I look at other people's opinions of me, I just don't give a fuck. You know, and, and I'm sorry if I can't swear on this, but no, you can swear. That's me. <laughs> um, but I don't like because if someone judges me for being who I am, right? Like I just I just had a video that I I make TikToks every day. As as weird as that is for for men, that's what I do. And one of them I cried in because I just, you know, I just found out I'm having a baby and I went through three, three miscarriages with my wife over the last two years. And that's really hard, right? That's that's something that that really makes me feel. Um, you know, I used to kind of have those emotions about my dad's suicide because that's always been a powerful thing for me. Well, now I put it out there in plain, like it will always be out there forever in the ether of TikTok and the internet. And so if people judge me for that, go for it, right? Because you you have no idea what I've been through. And I know what I've been through, right? I, I say this a lot to, to people. It's in my book. It's everywhere. You are the only person that is going to live with yourself for 100% of your life. And so why give a fuck about what temporary people are going to say to you? And why not pay attention to what you are actually saying to you? Your body is actually telling you things. And if you need to cry, fucking cry. And don't give a fuck about what other people say to you or about you. Because you know what? They're temporary. They're not going to be there forever. And quite frankly, if they say things, maybe they should be even more temporary than you thought they should be because they don't, they clearly don't understand you and you don't want people that don't understand you in your life, especially if you've been through trauma. It's, it's just that simple. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you start to face all of these hard things yourself, you stop looking for the validation of others for your own pain because you have validated it. When you own it, when you validate it, no one can hurt you with it because TikTok is like the most toxic social media platform I have ever been on. I don't have yeah. nearly as much of a following as you. It just hit 30K. And I don't even read my TikTok comments because there's always someone in there who says like the nastiest things. Oh, yeah. you, you could, you're, you're trying to help people yeah. and it, it doesn't matter. Um, and so and you're, you're, you're so, you're so delineated <laughs> towards men. And that's such a stigmatized like topic now, you know, with, mm -hmm with the, um, with the more far leaning left feminism movement of the, of the two thousands, you know, and like, it's become such a stigmatized topic that if anyone talks about women specifically or men specifically, it, it's just a battle. And I, I always get comments. Why, why does this only apply to men? You're so sexist. You're so blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, like I've just really, it's just stopped bothering me because yeah. exactly like what you said, like, I don't play into the political correctness of society because I'm just, um, aiming towards truth. Yeah. I'm only here to help people and say the truth. And it's not political. The truth is right. not political. It's not in any sex or anything like that. I'm speaking for a voice that doesn't have one and I'm going to keep doing it. And I don't care what anybody says, because I know that I've helped people and the same for you as well. Like you help so many people by sharing your story and sharing the ways that you've helped yourself. And, right. and that is powerful. And it doesn't matter who says anything about it. And 
if they say something about it, that's their journey, right? Like, and that's the their beautiful business. thing about, that's the beautiful thing about life too, right? Like we cannot be accepted by everybody. And when you accept that fact, you hold so much power, yeah. right? Because everybody is so politically correct because they don't want to have any conflict. They don't want to have any and I'm like, dude, just give me some more conflict because if I'm hitting conflict, I'm hitting the right nerve, right? Like yeah. if you don't stand for some, something, you stand for nothing. So yeah. anyway, that's my rampage. But I want to go back to um, something very important that you said, which um, really, really tugged at my heartstrings um, when you talked about, you know, the loss of, you know, children, child, child loss. Um especially in the form of miscarriages, which is not talked about a lot, even by women, uh, much less the men involved in the process. And I think so many people forget about the fathers. Um, And and I really wanted to get your perspective on that, because I know there's going to be men listening to this who were expecting fathers and they had that loss and nobody asked them if they were okay. You know, my my perspectives changed on it um, because, you, again, we kind of understand the timeline. Came home from Afghanistan, twenty nineteen, December. Um, me and my wife went on a vacation, and that's where we found out we were pregnant the first time. Um, and that that obviously was not viable, um, and I don't I don't think I felt it. Right. Obviously, I, I had just got home from Afghanistan. So there was a lot of struggling with emotions um, coming home and not really recognizing the empathy that I needed to, you know, feel in, in that in that regard. You know, I was very, very un, I was just very into that. Uh, I'm ready to kill mentality. You know, I had just been in one of my my last missions in Afghanistan was probably the most stressful um, because that was, that was one that I almost, I almost shot a guy that was, you know, three feet from me. Um, so there's a lot of, there's still a lot of things going through my mind as I came home. And that just, when, when that happened, I was very emotionally closed off to it. Um, but when the second one happened, I started to realize that I, I wanted this, like, this was the, it was like the first time in, in my life where I recognized that I had actually had the opportunity to have a child where for majority of my life, I thought I was going to die before I'd even find someone that I could love, let alone have a child with. Um, and I've been with my wife since uh, 2016. Um, been married since 2018. And, and it's been, I mean, she's just, she's a godsend to me. Um, and that that second one was was really the point where I recognized the loss of the first one and the loss of the second one. And it was like, uh, what do I do? You know, like, and I'm going to, I'm going to get a little bit emotional here, but that's, it's necessary. Um, you know, that, that was that recognition that this is being taken away from me and I don't even know what I can do to make it better. Um, it's a hard thing. You know, it's a hard thing to actually face down that, that, expression because nobody knows how to talk about it like you know you 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 have conversations with friends and family and they're like i'm so sorry about that and you're like i don't want you to be fucking sorry i don't want you to tell me that your friend went through ivf and it didn't work for them like what what does that do for me like i just don't want you to say anything 
and and just recognize that this happened you know like it you almost become so aggressive because people just do not have the understanding of how to actually express it to you or allow you to feel it or have the empathy you know it's that friends and family thing where people just don't have an understanding of how to actually have that conversation what it means you know how to actually eloquently put it forth to you and say I can't even imagine what you're feeling. Like if there's, if there's one thing that I think fits for every situation, it's this, you say this to someone, I can't even imagine how you're feeling. That's it. If you say anything else, you probably mess it up. Just, just start with that. And people will share with you so much, so many profound things. And that was the thing that, you know, I never, I never really talked to anybody about it other than me and my wife. And I'm lucky that me and my wife were so close that we, had the, you know, the comfort to, to discuss that with each other. Um, but if that wasn't there, oh, that'd be brutal. That would be really brutal because there were, there were so many emotions after the second one. Um, and even the third one that I, I, I wanted to handle on my own, but I'm so thankful that my wife was there because, you know, when you recognize that, you know, she's there with me, that feeling that with someone else is so much more, uh, I don't know if comfortable is the right word, but it's just such a comforting feeling to know that I'm not doing this alone. And, and certainly, you know, like on the opposite end, she's not doing it alone either. Like sh her knowing that I was going through this and feeling this stuff was remarkably comfortable for her are comforting to her because it, it allowed her to also express the things that she felt isolated about. Um, and it, it's given us a very, very strong connection uh, within our relationship. And I, I think as parents, we're, it's just going to grow and grow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I know you just said this, but I, I can't imagine the pain. I can't imagine the pain. Um, it's very, very powerful that you that you were able to share that. And I'm so glad though, that you and your wife were able to connect in those moments and be there for each other because I know a lot of people um, are not able to do that. And not just in that scenario, but in other tragic scenarios where there's loss of a family member or, you know, you know, anything like that, um, they, they tend to disconnect and they stray away. Um, and that's usually the cause of a lot of divorces and separation. So I'm glad that you guys were able to connect. Um, and even I'm, I myself have experienced uh, a loss and that's exactly what happened with us. Um, totally disconnected, uh, you know, both of us coming from past trauma and you know, I think one of the main things is that a lot of people don't know how to communicate just in general, but especially when it comes to uh, hard emotions right. and, and men especially are like, they don't know how to handle hard emotions. And especially yeah. when a female or someone is in cries, like men do not know how to react to that usually. Right. And the, the initial reaction is fix it, solve it. I want to solve this for you. And anybody, when they see someone they love in pain, they want to solve it, right? So that's why family members will offer, oh, you know, everything happens for a reason or God wanted them early. And the thing is, we know that your heart is coming from a good place, but it's not comforting. It, yeah. it hurts. It's painful and it doesn't help. And so exactly like Dylan said, it's like, 
you know, I'm, I can't imagine what you're going through and just letting them speak. And if you're not someone who can handle those hard emotions, just let it, let it be known to that person, right? Like if you don't have the tools or whatever, and it makes you uncomfortable, there's nothing wrong with saying like, I really want to support you. Um, you know, I'm here for you. I, this isn't something I know how to solve or fix. And I don't, you know, like you, you don't have to solve or fix anything, you know, just being there and listening is usually enough to just validate someone's pain and emotions. And, and you know what, I think everyone is equipped to handle hard emotions, but it's, it's learning how to actually utilize them. It's, it's understanding like what is right and what is wrong in that situation. Something that is so, so little practice is, is actually, uh, you know, put forth in, in that regard for, especially men, right. I was one of them, um, that it becomes so foreign that it's, it's almost detrimental for us to actually try to practice that. And, and what I'd say to that is start practicing. If you want to have any kind of strong relationship, I promise you, it's not going to, it's not going to come if you don't understand how to, how to practice hard emotions and, and to stop placing the ego within those emotions and seeing how other people are treating you is not necessarily attacking you all the time. Certainly there are times where that is true. Um, but if you're trying to build a strong relationship, those hard emotions are going to feel like they're attacking you, but oftentimes it's not, it's just this repression of trauma. It's this, you know, this misunderstanding of how to actually feel hard emotions for the, the opposite person. Right. And so I, I recommend that if, if that's how you feel, if you feel like you cannot, um, you cannot handle those hard emotions. I, I, I implore you to ask why, why can't you handle those hard emotions? Because we, I think fundamentally emotions are, are put within us to communicate for a reason. Like we, we have them for a reason. They're not useless. They're, they're designed for us to communicate. We are social creatures and not only to communicate with ourselves, but communicate with others. You know, a lot of our body language is, is actually our, our main communication form. And so it's, it's really important for you to ask the question, why can't I feel hard emotions? Why can't I be comfortable in those hard emotions and, and start digging into the, the, the real questions, because those are the real problems, right? It's not the, oh, my, my wife doesn't understand me. That's not the real problem. The real problem is why don't you understand yourself? Yes. It, it's, it's the harsh reality in many, in many regards, but, you know, we talked about validating, you know, our clients earlier. Well, the real work becomes invalidating the, the wrong responses to certain things. And so validation is so fundamental for trust, but invalidation is so fundamental for self-development, I think. And you have to look at yourself and say, me saying that my wife doesn't understand me is something that I need to invalidate because I'm sure she can when I offer her a better understanding. Right. And so it's, it's this understanding that you have to learn what you should invalidate and what you shouldn't invalidate. And, and I think it's, it's remarkable when you start kind of attacking the real problems, you know, in, in that kind of perspective.
Absolutely. And that, that is the, the art of coaching really is just asking the right questions, right. Getting people to rethink, um, their, their entire processes, because what we're trying to do is rewire the neural pathways in our brain, because all our habits and whatever, or all of our responses are just habits. And once you start to reprogram the habits, you can have different outcomes, different responses, different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And so, um, exactly like what you were saying about, if we're not able to handle hard emotions, start practicing. That's the exact moment where I would say, is it's valuable to have a coach and such or a therapist, because if you are unable to regulate your emotions, to understand how to handle them, it is because you don't have a relationship where it is safe to do so. If you don't have a relationship where it's safe to do so, you need to find one, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it can be so hard if you're doing that for the first time and you encounter Mm -hmm. somebody else who has their own bias, their own perspectives, and then they accidentally sometimes invalidate you. And then you're just ashamed because, you know, like if you're not trained in it, and even if you are trained in it, right, you can still have some type of bias. Um, But usually the people who aren't trained, they just put a bunch of, it's like always a self-projection, right? That's why people try to stop you from chasing your dreams. That's why they tell you something is stupid because they feel it's stupid. They feel ashamed. They feel like it's unrealistic. Nobody is actually looking at you as a person and Mm -hmm. saying, yeah, actually you can do whatever you want. You have the abilities for this. They're saying, oh no, that's unrealistic because they don't believe, right? So you need to find someone who you can trust, who can fully help you understand and navigate those pathways and concepts. Yeah. And and it reminds me of like Jordan Peterson's new book. One of the, one of the sub sub chapters is sanity is a social institution. Mm -hmm. And so when you, when you look at yourself, you are actually looking at how other people determine whether you're sane or not. And so what I, what I look at that is how this applies to this is that if you grow up in a cult, that's your version of sanity, right? If you grow up with a narcissistic mother, that's your version of sanity. And when you get, when you place yourself in, 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 in an opposite environment, a relationship that's supposed to be healthy, this, this person might be healthy for you, but you look at it and you're like, this is unhealthy yep, because your that's the sanity. Go off. Yeah. That, because that's the sanity that you recognize. And so that's the stuff that we're talking about in terms of invalidating and, and recognizing that this is from where you came from is oftentimes not the healthiest place. And you have to look at it with the, the, the lens of realism rather than optimism um, or even pessimism, right? It has to be realism is that, you know, far so many times I've, I've worked with people that, you know, they've come from incredibly difficult places and then they look at it and they're saying all of it was a waste. And it's like, no, it's not because on the opposite spectrum, you learned how to survive. You learned how to become a warrior because of that. And so whatever you do, nothing that you came from is a waste. Is it harmful? Absolutely. Is it, is it unhealthy? Probably, you know, is it painful? Absolutely. But it's never a waste. Pain is never a waste. And, and you need to be able to take that pain, process it, create perspective from it, um, develop purpose from it. If that's what helps you and, and dominate yourself in, in, 
how you perceive this stuff and create power. And I, and what I think of power is, you know, self-appreciation, self-correction, and being able to actually resolve conflicts. I think though that triad is so fundamentally important for like mastering your consciousness and mastering your identity that it requires you to be realistic in where you've come from and where you're going and, and recognizing that your sanity is, is very much determined by the people you place around you, the environment that you place around you um, and, and how you actually experience life. And again, it kind of goes back to understanding healing. And I think healing is not necessarily the right, right word because you're, you might have to go through a, a, an organ transplant rather than, you know, a bandaid, you know, like you're, you're talking about completely transforming the structure of how you think rather than saying this hurt. And now I'm going to put some, I'm going to heal it with validation. That's mm -hmm. not, that's not always going to work when it's, when it's deeply intricate and complex. Right. It's more of a metamorphosis, the caterpillar to the butterfly. And that, yeah. that's exactly what um, I teach my clients too, because, you know, scientifically, biologically, we are products are of our environment and we are driven to survive and reproduce. And mm -hmm. so as children, we completely rely on our caregivers and we don't know how the world works. As a baby, you rely on your crying to be fed, to be moved, to yep. look around. And if you know, the old saying was, oh, just leave them there to cry and then they'll stop crying. But a baby who stops crying stops asking for their needs to be met. And right. that's actually so opposite of how, you know, we, ha we have the crying mechanism for a reason. It's because there is a need. That is the only communication that, that children have, right? So the more attuned your parents were to attuning to your needs, the more actually relationally healthy you will become. Yep. But if your parents grew up with generational trauma and the societal rules and the sanity of whatever thing, you know, generally all of us, because no person is perfect, are going to have something messed up about our childhood, something yep. we want to change, right? Like they could even break, like we could break generational trauma for us and still mess our kids up in a different way. We yep. don't know. You do your, you do the best you can and you, you move forward. Right. Yep. But you know, like when you're so unaware and it, it creates a template. And the brain is so efficient. It's a computer. It says, oh, this is the way I have to survive in this environment. This is the way I have to get love. This is the way I have to be accepted, understood, validated. I'll just keep this forever. It never questions it. And this is where I meet a lot of every adult is an adult with a child mentality in some way, shape or form. So it's oh, like yeah. I talk to a lot of adult men, but I'm not talking to the adult men. I'm talking to the inner child who was invalidated at one point, who was abused at one point, who then was taught to shove it all down, to hide it, to ignore it, to be a man, to man up. Um, and so what we're dealing with is the rewiring of a template that was created based upon survival. Yeah. And now we have to retrain it to recognize that, overcome that, right? Invalidate that and then reprogram it. So it's not just in survival, it's in thrive. It's in purpose and passion. And, and I love what you said, um, no pain goes wasted. Yeah. That is so powerful of a concept. If you are going through pain, um, no, no pain is, is wasted. Like it's not wasted. It's not useless. I don't think that you should put yourself in pain on purpose. Once I learned how to self-heal myself, and I'm going to use healing just because that's what I've been used to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's meta. <laughs> right. Like, I realized, holy crap, I don't have to needlessly suffer. 
And that was transformational for my life because suddenly money came easy. Friends came easy. You know, I started creating families because I used to say this saying to myself, I don't have friends or family because my family was dysfunctional. I couldn't have friends when I was younger. So I just adapted to being alone, but I carried that with me even after I moved out and lived by myself from 18 onwards, you know, halfway across the country, I still kept this saying, I don't have friends or family. And it kept me from developing connections with anybody. And once I said, wait a minute, I don't have to say this to myself anymore. It took me like five years beyond moving out, like until like 25 or 23 or something. And then I met um, like a woman in California who became my friend, but she had such a loving aura about her where she just accepted me fully for who I was. She like became my mother. And once I told her that it was like, all of a sudden this new bond and connection was created where I was like, oh my God, I don't have to live this life where I thought I don't have friends. I don't have family. And now I have like this family, like I told you before we started that I used to be my old boss and he invited me for Christmas. And now I've becoming four years in a row, this family that was once strangers is now like, I come to their house every year for Christmas. And that is so powerful that like, whatever you're saying to yourself, remember you are always saying something to yourself. And I tell my clients this now, if you're going to say something to yourself that becomes programmed in your subconscious, it becomes a reality, right? Because it dictates your beliefs and your actions. You might as well make yourself the main character. You might as well say something that you want to happen, right? Because why not? Why, why make yourself feel miserable? Why say I'm a piece of shit? Why say I'm bad? Why say, you know, like I'm, I'm a loser. I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do that because you are creating yourself as, as the victim, as the villain, as you know, the, you're, you're the, you are the villain of yourself, right? Like yep. you're keeping yourself in shackles and it's powerful when you figure that out and you're like, holy crap, like I actually don't have to think this way anymore. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's what I lived in for, you know, for nine, well, almost more like 20 years. That's what I lived in was, was that, that self-destructive self-loathing um, mindset of, this is who I have to be. Like I'm, I'm successful. That, that was the interesting thing is I was successful through all of that, but yet it was, you know, it was never good enough. It was never good enough for the people that whether it was internally, I could never be good enough for. And it was, for, it was my father for me, um, you know, and obviously he was gone. So he was never going to be, be there to say, I'm proud of you. He was never going to be there to say, you know, you are good enough. And so what I had to learn is that adapting how I actually perceived those words or how I actually perceived myself was if I tried to validate myself through the eyes of other people, there's a really good chance I'm going to be disappointed or they're going to be disappointed because how other people view you is it it can be detrimental to you. Even if they, even like, even me, like I tell people don't, allow my validation to be the thing that you rely on because someday, what if I stop? What if, what if I like have a bad day and I say the wrong thing to you because I'm human, right? Like I'm not always going to be this, this, you know what? Cause that's what people see on social media is like, Dylan, you're this huge inspiration. You're really helpful. You, you, you guide us, you support us, right? Well, what if I have a really, really, really bad day and that stops all of a sudden. And what if I go through something traumatic that I can't control myself and things turn, right? Well, then that's just a disappointment in your life that you have, you have now proven that people are bad. 
rather than rather than creating this internal kind of pointing the lens towards yourself and recognizing, you know, this is one of the things I've been doing for my clients recently, write down things you're proud of every day, right? It's not, it's not a hard concept. It's like, if you can't find something that you're proud of today, if you don't think waking up today is something to be proud of, because it certainly was for me for 19 years, what did you do yesterday that you're proud of? What did you do 12 years ago that you're proud of? What did you do 13 years ago? Right. And I don't care what it is or what time frame it was in. If you are proud of it, write it down because this self-development, this healing journey, this, this internal progress journey that we like to go on that has become so mainstream can become really toxic really quickly. This is what I'm realizing is that people look at themselves and they say, I'm not progressing fast enough. And the reality is, is you're not attacking the question from the right angle is you're not also contradicting the constant progress with constant self-appreciation. That's that, that triad that I was talking about of self-appreciation, self-correction. There has to be both. And then when you, when you consider other people, there has to be conflict resolution because when you have a conflict, if you deny it, if you dismiss it, if you neglect it, guess what? That conflict remains within you, yeah. not within them, right? And if, if they are the problem and you take on that problem, well, guess what? You're arguing with yourself when you should be arguing with them. And now you're overthinking, you're dominating yourself, you're, you're, you're making yourself out, you're vilifying yourself, you're making yourself out to be the bad guy. And, and that's just not how conflicts become resolved. Like you, if, if, you're, if you're honest with yourself, if you have a conflict from 14 years ago or from your childhood that never got resolved, let me ask you this, right? Are you still fighting it, <laughs> right? Like, mm-hmm. are you, is it still within you? Are, are you still looking back and saying, that pisses me off. If you look at that situation and you say, I'm still pissed off about that. I, I still have feelings about that. Well, guess what? You should have said something, right? But if you couldn't, now is the time to resolve that conflict within yourself, right? The conflicts are not meant to be something that remain within you. They are meant to resolve themselves by having the discussion. And guess what? When someone doesn't want to have the discussion, that's also a resolution. That's an, that needs to be an understanding that this person does not want to have a relationship with me or they would have the discussion with me. Not necessarily the, I need a minute to think about this. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. But when someone says, I don't want to talk about this, this is useless, this is a waste of time, that's a problem in the right. relationship. And so, you know, you have to balance and understand your consciousness through, I think, that triad of self-appreciation, self-correction, and conflict resolution for you to really have a healthy relationship with yourself. And if you can't do that, you've got to start asking yourself why. Absolutely. Absolutely. And not even just um, conflict is in something that like pisses you off, but just emotions in general are not meant to be held in the body. And I describe it to my clients. Like I always like to use picture stories because it gives good visuals. Like I'm like, imagine this, you have a backpack full of shit that, you know, you've just, you're holding onto it. You're making life so hard for yourself. And the thing is like, nobody put that stuff in your backpack. You picked it up off the road and you're intentionally carrying it. So we're going to 
you know, rock by rock, drop those things off so that you don't feel so heavy anymore. Right. Like, cause the thing is you're weighed down, you're, you're overwhelmed. You're, you feel like you're never good enough. And the thing is you're carrying all of these judgments, all this anger, all of these resentments. You're not letting it go because of pride, because of shame, because of whatever. The second we start to let those things go, you feel so much lighter, so much better. And I love that you said, write down what you're proud of, as opposed to gratitude, right? Because I do that same thing with my clients. Um, there's so much hype about gratitude. gratitude. What are you grateful for? Which obviously we all have things to be grateful for. We really do. I'm so, I'm so blessed to just wake up and be alive. Right. But the thing is when you, when you associate it to what am I proud of? It validates also what you've been through and the fact that you can do it again. If you've done that, you can do, you've done a hard thing before you can do it again, or you've achieved something before you can do it again. That's using evidence of self that you can do things. Cause a lot of people struggle because they think I can't do this. I'm a failure. I suck. And I ask my clients, is that true? Uh, the, the book, uh, the work by Byron Katie is, was one of the most transformational books for me, uh, because she's, she has this question, you know, is, is it true? Right. And I, they're like, Oh, I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I'm like, okay, is it true? When is the time that you didn't fail? And then they have to tell me a story that completely, like you said, invalidates that process of I'm a loser, right? Because you just told me how you're not. So, you know, and it it snaps people out of the spiral, right? So, oh my gosh, I know we could talk forever, but I think that we're already at the time. I'm not sure what your schedule is like. I do. Um, I have to get going in a couple of minutes. Okay. Um, So as we end this, thank you so much for coming on, for sharing your story with us. Um, as we end, is there any last minute message that you would like to give to the men, the women, anybody who's listening right now on their journey to self-healing or metamorphosis or, or whatever it is that they're fighting right now? Don't give up on yourself. Just don't. Uh, you may have to give up on parts of you that are not necessary. You may have to give up on people that are uh, negative to you or negatively impact you. But don't give up on you. And that's, it's, it's quite simple, right? Like when you, when you look at yourself, recognize that there is a path forward, whether you can see it or not is the question. It's not whether it's there or not, it's whether you can see it or not. And if you cannot see it, do what we've been talking about. Find someone that can help you reveal that because it's, it's there. You know, find a book that can help you reveal that dig into who you are and ask the right questions, start building that triad of self-appreciation, self-correction and conflict resolution, and don't give up on yourself. That is the only thing that you need. If there's a rule in your life that you need to live by, it's that one, because you will give up on a lot of different things in your life. That's fair. I think that's necessary, but do not give up on yourself and you will, you will find your way through if you put forth the effort. Absolutely. There you have it, folks. Dylan Sessler, author, Defy the Darkness. Get his book on Amazon, Kindle, audiobook. That's what I'm about to get. Um, Amazing read of his personal journey, his story. Dylan is also going to be at the Year of the Man Summit 2022 in January. So you do not want to miss this. Um, It's a free seven-day summit to help men live life differently, to fight societal stigmas, to become better fathers, spouses, and men. And Dylan has graciously 
offered to be present there. So thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much, Dylan, for coming. I appreciate you. you and I will see you later.